Welcome to Offscript, where we expose the cultural pressures that quietly squeeze us into the mold of this age by applying ancient biblical insights to present-day issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Restitutio Offscript. I'm Sean here with Dan and Rose, and today we're talking about relativism, which is the idea that everyone can decide for themselves what is true and what is right, that we don't need some external creed or group to tell us what we need to believe. So this topic is a little similar to hyper-individualism, but in this episode, what we want to do is focus more on the truth aspect and the belief aspect as opposed to following your dreams or coming up with meaning and purpose in your life. So anyhow, throughout history... Generally speaking, the privileged class has made the decisions for the rest of society what is true and what they should believe. So, for example, the Brahmins in India or European colonialists usually would establish laws in their colonies and tell people what to think. And what would be another example? Patriarchies, those kind of societies. Patriarchies and societies as well. And so relativism is the democratization of truth. It's the idea that now the individual can figure out what is true for him or her without being told what to believe. And quite frankly, I don't know for sure, but I think a lot of this goes back to Immanuel Kant's critique of pure reason when he argued that we cannot directly access the external world, that objective facts are in a sense, too distanced from us, and the internal world is all that we really have full access to. And I know that was probably developed throughout the Enlightenment, and we live in a postmodern society, but how this applies to Christianity and religion is pretty much everyone has this mindset today in America, I think. They think that everyone should be able to determine their own religion. And honestly, that's a... I don't think historically that has been common, that people felt that everyone should be able to determine their own religion. Like, for example, in the old Roman Empire, if you don't go worship the city gods, then you're putting the whole city into danger, and you would get persecuted because you're flouting convention, you're refusing to take care of the gods, and you you might inspire them to be angry. Yeah, you're you're putting the whole community at risk. (laughs) Right. What thoughts or examples do you guys have about relativism? Do you think this is widespread in our world today? Do you think it's always been like this? Or what are your thoughts? I think it's a really attractive idea that you're in control of what you think. And what you think is based on your experience and your truth is your truth and not somebody else's truth. Like you were saying, Sean, it goes back to hyper-individualism. And there's a certain attractiveness about that, a certain independence that you know you feel with that mindset and that, and that comes along with that mindset, I would say in American culture and especially in the, in the younger generations, that's definitely a, uh, a mindset that is prevalent. 
I was thinking specifically about the transition in sort of the superhero world, especially since, you know, the comic book days of the 1950s where we had black and white and good and evil and thinking about how things have been recently. We had even Iron Man, who was kind of getting into gray areas, leading into now we have Deadpool and Suicide Squad. We uh, we revel in the gray area sometimes. And now we what we really want to see is something that's not so, you know, predictable mm. as black and white, but something that kind of uh, isn't afraid to go into the gray areas and have, let's see what happens when we have bad guys doing the work of good guys, the anti-hero, if you will. Yeah, that's a great point. That's definitely something that's, that's happened in the movies. You look at old westerns, I mean, they actually had the good guy wear a white hat and the bad guy wear a black hat. <laughs> <laughs> so clear were the lines. One of the illustrations that I really like for relativism and pluralism as well, which is an outgrowth of relativism as it's applied to a society, is the blind men of Hindustan. The old parable describes a big elephant and these blind men, and each one grabs a different part of the elephant, thinking it's the whole, and describes it to the others, and they disagree. So one grabs the tusk and says, elephants are really hard and sharp, and another one grabs the tail, and they say, ah, they're kind of ropey, and then another one just (laughs) knocks into the side of the elephant, and they say, elephants are like a great wall. And each one thinks they know the whole truth, but in reality, they only know part of the truth. And I think the point of the parable is basically don't judge other people because you don't know everything. As it gets applied to religion and to truth, it basically says none of us has any authority to say anything about anybody else because we're all limited to our own perspective. And that's dangerous because then you can, I mean, in an extreme case, then you can't even have basic laws. Like, you can't say that, that stealing is wrong mm. because that's just your limited perspective. I really want money, and you, you can't understand me. You don't know my story, so I'm going to go rob the bank now. All right. The problem with that thinking is that there that leaves no room for actual objective truth. Right. And I believe that there is actual objective truth out there, and a lot of that objective truth comes from experience and it is subjective like you know it is wrong to go into a store and take something that's not yours and 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 leave with it well i think what you're talking about there is the concept of a universal that there are certain morals that are just wrong for everyone and this is how law works in a society is that there are certain one-size-fits-all principles that people are not allowed to violate without paying a consequence. For example, speeding. Now, I wonder if like having an exception makes it therefore invalid. As soon as you lay down a moral universal, Mm -hmm. your mind supplies an exemption. Well, there's always the exception to the rule, they say. Well, like as I was just saying speeding, I was thinking... If if your wife is pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, delivering a baby or something like that, you know. So I think you can build those in to the universal. I think the, the law system does that to some degree, or maybe the enforcers of, of the law recognize right. that, okay, this is an emergency situation. Right. If you're on your, if, if the, if the cop sees that you're on your way to the hospital or you're on your route, he's probably not going to try to pit maneuver you in right. <laughs> the side of the highway. He'll probably try to escort you. Yeah. When we were talking about tolerance, right, there was sort of the rule of harm and it was don't mm-hmm. do harm. And that kind of helps govern it too. So if your wife is pregnant, in that case, you might do her more harm if you, you know, follow the speed limit and take your time. If you don't, uh, steal for your sister, you might be harming her. So I think in a lot of people's minds, that will 
come through and sort of become um, the law de facto. All right. Well, let's talk about some benefits and detriments of relativism. I think as far as benefits are concerned, in a society that's, that embraces relativism, people can be more invested in their own beliefs. For example, if somebody establishes what everyone has to believe about, say, their faith, for example, their religion, then people are more disconnected from it. But if, if you really take responsibility for your own beliefs and you have a mindset that says, hey, I can be whatever religion I want to be when I grow up, you might actually look into all the different religions and you might weigh them against each other and you might logically choose or emotionally choose whatever fits you best, which you know I think a lot of people would recognize is a benefit that there is this incredible sense of engagement and that goes along with freedom. For example, the state church in Europe was pretty much a disaster in the long run and the American experiment of religious freedom, people... I think generally thought, well, that's, that's a sure way to kill Christianity is don't support it. And what happened instead is America is incredibly religious and Europe has gone down and down and down as far as the number of people who participate in the established state religion. So I think that's definitely a benefit of relativism is that people are more engaged and more have, have a better sense of freedom it also prevents coercion, forcing people to believe a certain way. It also enables science. For example, if you have some sort of established, I don't know, sensor that prohibits certain books from getting printed because they disagree with the established science of the society, well, that would hold back progress for scientific knowledge. Those are some benefits. You guys have any others? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes you responsible for curating your own truth. Like, it's considered passe to adopt what they call the party line in politics, where, you know, if you're a Republican, you think a certain way down the line on all these issues. I know in political conversations that I've had with my peers, it's considered um, kind of ignorant to adopt those stances that are people the sort look, of... People look down on you yeah. if you hold the party line. Right, and if, if you have that default mindset on these big issues of the day... People look at that and say, well, he's not well-read. He's not thinking through these issues in a sort of nuanced way. And I think that's a good thing because the world isn't black and white. You do have to examine things and weigh, weigh issues. You can't support something just because a political majority supports something. That's a benefit of, of this idea. You were talking earlier, Sean, about um, in the Roman world, and if you believe something different from everyone, everyone viewed you as, as a threat to society. That is different, um, even fairly recently, where it's becoming more acceptable to believe something different than your parents in, in the faith world. And it's still, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be messy, and there could be um, difficult relationships as a result of that. But in general, um, not just the lack of a state religion, but also sort of the freedom um, to diverge from what your parents believed is something that's happening today. And you're saying that's a good thing? I think so. Yeah, I don't want. I want to be able to seek truth, um, and I don't believe the same thing my parents believe, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, not that you should abandon truth and just construct your own thing that makes you feel good. I think you should pursue truth, but having the freedom to do that and not just swallow my parents' truth, which was you know swallowed from their parents, I'm grateful for that. All right, let's talk about some detriments before we go on to analyze relativism a bit more and then look at a, a Christian perspective. 
relativism can be, in one sense, anti-science. I know I said it was pro-science a minute ago, so let me explain myself <laughs> a little bit here. If you don't believe that there are universal truths, then it would be hard to do science in general. I feel like in our society, we aren't real relativists. Like even those who embrace this mindset fully, who actually believe there are no absolutes, they still would make an exception for science. And they would say, well, except for science. Because science deals in these laws and principles and they have experiments and they can predict what will happen using these sophisticated equations that we don't understand. So it must be true. It's almost like science has taken the place of the old uh, religious order where you know, it's sort of like the unquestioned thought leaders of the day. But uh, that's another subject. True relativism would be anti-science and anti-logic because you, know, you have your truth, I have my truth, she has her truth, he has her, his truth, it, whatever floats your boat. It could be anti-history as well because who's to say that your interpretation of history, your historiography is correct? There was actually a time when people felt like doing history was just silly because who knows if we can actually understand what they were saying or or if we can resist putting our own general meta narrative over what they're saying and i think if you're a thoroughgoing relativist it's going to be hard to say what actually happened in the past because we don't even know what's really going on in the present or in the recent past yeah. there's a book that just came out about that growing up we were all taught that betsy ross made the american flag right she sewed it in like Philadelphia or wherever she was and George Washington came in the room. <laughs> That's a completely apocryphal story. Historians do not, they generally agree that Betsy Ross did not come up with the design of the American flag. There were a lot of different flags floating around during that time when the Revolutionary War was heating up. Even in battles, different people from different areas had different flags. I think the thinking now is that the American flag is an amalgamation of, of a lot of different designs and nobody knows who brought it together and brought the American flag as we know it today or, or back in the colonial times of the 13 stars. And yet we were all taught this. Yeah. Um, well, I think it can make a mockery of truth because if everyone has their own truth, necessarily your truth is so diminished because it isn't universally applicable. Yeah. I mean, if you define relativism as no absolute truth that statement, then a problem immediately surfaces, which is if there are no absolute truths, then the definition itself can't be an absolute truth. It's self-defeating. Yeah, it defeats itself. So I think there's a real problem with thoroughgoing relativism where we are not able to actually have a cohesive definition. You want to be at least able to have a cohesive definition, a definition that doesn't defeat itself to get started. The other issue is that and you, and you kind of hinted at this before, Dan, is that there is such a thing as a subjective fact and there is such a thing as an objective fact. And an objective truth, for example, is a truth that is observable to multiple individuals and if those individuals weren't there, it would still be true, mm-hmm. you know, if I can define it that way. So, for example, there's one moon orbiting the Earth right now. I mean, it doesn't matter if I say it or if Rose says that. Or if you're in outer space or if you're in a galaxy far, far away. Either yeah. that's true or it's not true. It's, a, it's an objective truth claim. It's not narrow. It's not a narrow fact. It's just a fact. And it's not my opinion. I mean, it, it is also my opinion, but it's an opinion about a fact. So whereas a subjective truth is that Superman's better than Batman. 
Whoa. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you're gonna upset a lot of people, Sean. Right. We don't want to lose <laughs> listeners over that. Um. Yeah. You know, laws of nature. If I spill this hot coffee on me, it's gonna burn me. There's no arguing that. It's true. Everyone probably has, has touched a hot stove when they were a kid, and even though your parents told you not to, and it burned you, there's no debating. Right. There are natural laws. The real issue is not, should we just each come up with our own truth? That's not really the way to go. The way to go is to figure out, well, which truths are subjective and which ones are objective. And is, for example, faith within the subjective or objective realm and what aspects are? Another issue with relativism is the law of non-contradiction, which is the basis of all logic. And if something is true, then it can't also be false at the same time and in the same sense. And you speak to some relativists today, and it seems like they would say that something is both true and false at the same time in the same sense. And that right there would destroy all kinds of fields of knowledge in one fell swoop. So I don't think that works for that reason. So I think really the question is, what issue, what what subjects are objective, what are subjective, how do you figure out which is which, and how do you live authentically in a way that doesn't get tripped up on forcing your beliefs on others, whereas at the same time, not thinking, oh, well, this is just true for you, I don't need to listen to what you have to say. Look, if you rob a bank, it doesn't matter if it's true for me or true for you, you're, you're going to get arrested and you're going to face charges for that. There are lots of morals that are like that. All right, so let's bring in the Christian perspective here and talk about what the Bible says about this whole idea, this whole idea of relativism. What we find in Scripture is a really interesting mix between a freedom to choose and absolute requirements for salvation. Because you really have both, and God doesn't force people to believe, at least I don't believe God forces people to believe, so maybe that's my <laughs> non-Calvinist <laughs> point of view. <laughs> but, um, or it's certainly the case that there are absolutes mm. as far as how God has set up the world. And almost our whole way of talking about morality as Christians is bound up with almost like an absolutist mindset where we have this word sin. Sin is defined not based on an individual or the law of Moses or the majority of Christians think is right or wrong. Sin is defined based on God's perspective and what God says is right or wrong in a given situation. And I think as soon as you bring God into the conversation on relativism, suddenly there is some firm ground to stand on hmm. because God does have a privileged perspective. First of all, he's external to all humans. He's more intelligent than we are. He's the creator. And he's not limited to just a certain amount of information. And if he had more information, he'd make a better decision. No, he's plugged into all the information that's available right. in any given situation. And that's an important point because half the time we don't understand why God says the things that he says. You know, why can't I boil a calf in its mother's milk? You know, like, <laughs> I don't understand that, you know, like, uh, going back to Old Testament law. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> so I think because God has a flawless perspective 
and access to all the available information, he is uniquely qualified to be a moral lawgiver. And since that's the case, the Christian point of view is to essentially just claim that we're with God and he knows what he's talking about, so we're going to defer to what he says on this or that issue. And that, of course, requires humility. I can't be God if God's going to be God. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, well, I, I'm not sure what's right and wrong. I need, I need an outside perspective that's accurate to help me here. But then it turns into some sort of negative, judgmental issue where, at least in today's world, it seems like people are very critical of mm-hmm. Christianity because we claim to know what we're talking about, and we claim that certain behaviors are wrong. From an outside perspective, it's like Christians are taking an easy route. Oh, you don't have to figure things out. You have this book. You're relying on a 2,000-year-old book to live your life. A, that seems foolish because what does the ancient world have to say about the modern? And it seems lazy that you're relying on a manual to live your life. So I understand that criticism. But then if you read the Bible and the amount of sense it makes, in my, in my heart, in my mind, it makes up for that. You remind me of the Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. Mm. <laughs> and the whole mindset that unless... That's such an arrogant song. <laughs> <laughs> and the way he sings it, too. Yeah, it's just... He's proud of it. Right, right, yeah. And I, what you said struck me. It sounded so, so authentic to our society. I feel like I, maybe not in those exact words, but like I hear that all the time. But at the same time, it sounds completely arrogant. Take, for example, clothing. Would you only trust a pair of shoes if you made them yourself? Would I only trust a pair of shoes? No. I put these boots on this morning knowing because I had worn them hundreds of times before that they would hold me in good stead. Okay, so we can trust others when it comes to shoes. We can trust others when it comes to chairs. We can trust others when it comes to... Cars that you put your kids in, that you drive your loved ones in. Think about something incredibly intimate like a wedding dress. How many brides make their own wedding dresses? I mean, it's just not all that common these days to do that. And almost people would look down on that person and be like, oh, you you cheaped out or you wanted to do something. You, you know, it'd just be like so out there. But yet when it comes to other issues, when it comes to our faith or for, to morality, we each have to make up our own morality. We can't trust any experts. We can't trust any authorities. We can't depend on others. We always have to just come up with it on our own. And really what that is, is arrogance, because you can't trust anyone but yourself. And that mindset is itself so limiting. And what it does is it denigrates other people. And it it denigrates God. Look, if there is a God, then he does know better than you, period. Bringing God into the picture, then, it, it just makes sense that you would trust what he has to say. And the fact that he chose to reveal what he has to say through a book, I think, if you look at that historically, is totally brilliant and totally different than other societies and religions back in those days. Because writing is a technology, and and we're talking about ancient Paleo-Hebrew here, where the earliest parts of the Bible were written. Ancient societies didn't write books like the Bible. You know, it really is totally different than what was around. I mean, sure, you can find some points of comparison with the Code of Hammurabi or 
the Enuma Elish and, and these sorts of little fragments from the ancient world. But <clears throat> by and large, the gods didn't care how people lived. They cared how people cared for them. Paid cared, tribute. Yeah, they cared for paying tribute and, and sacrifice and those, for honor. That's what they wanted. The gods craved honor. And so ancient Judaism really was this radical idea, and it was mocked and persecuted many times in the ancient world. And so I think what God chose to do by writing it down was to ensconce how he says people should live in a way that's accessible to people. And really, everyone else is just sort of like copying that model when we write books or blogs or whatever kind of writing we do today. So I, I don't think it's all that crazy of an idea to trust in a book that's 2,000 years old. I don't think the age, as we talked about in our progress episode, I don't think the age has anything to do with anything. I mean, right. the idea might be that's better the, or worse. What was that idea that we talked about? The um, Chronological snobbery? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it was, yeah. And also, within the Bible itself, there's room for this kind of subjective truth-seeking. Philippians 2 talks about, verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That, to me, means search the scriptures, look at these things, find the truths, and, you know, it says it in Psalm, write, write them upon the table of your heart. There's room in the Bible for this sort of individualistic truth-seeking. The questions I have about the Bible and about creation and about our faith are, are different from the ones that Rose might have or that you have. And the Bible instructs us to, you know, when we have those questions, to go and seek them out, to find the answers truth can be a really terrifying thing and there's a lot of comfort in um in sort of those gray areas and creating your own truth kind of based on based on your preferences sort of doing an a la carte thing um i really like what jesus says about truth though and not putting it in a negative light and painting it as something that you have to live by but something that you want to live by jesus talking to the jews um says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin but then he says if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples you will know the truth and the truth will not enslave you the truth will set you free i think that's a phenomenal way to look at it where truth i mean truth is reality and for me that's very much something that i want to embrace not a facade of my own uh, creation but uh, looking at it from the perspective of jesus um, it's something that i would that i would um, embrace um, as a liberating factor you made me think of the bereans where paul commended them in Acts 17.11, because they were more noble-minded in that they received the message, they didn't reject it or accept it, they just received it and then checked it against the scriptures to see if it was true. And I think that's a lot of what we're doing on this Offscript series, is taking a look at society, taking a look at cultural narratives, analyzing them, seeing what aspects are good and what aspects are bad, and testing it against the scripture to see what is true. And I think what we've seen over and over is that what God has provided for us in the scriptures is able to more satisfactorily meet the need that whatever cultural paradigm is seeking in the first place better than just going with the flow. And of course, there are a lot of other, we're kind of picking subjects that are in tension with what the Bible says. And there are a lot of other ones that are are not really worth talking about because everyone just pretty much agrees that it's a good idea to wear clothes or that eating food is good you know like <laughs> and fun and necessary yeah and we're talking about these ideas that are broad and the bible and what the bible has to say doesn't always cut against what the culture is doing you know we talk about 
you know, the benefits of patriotism a couple weeks ago, we talked, there are real things and there are real benefits to individualism and, and to this. But yeah, testing it against what the Bible says and what this podcast is about is, is applying a Christian filter to the world as opposed to taking what the world says and... Uncritically. Right. If we don't actively employ the Bible into our life and, and the way that we in the way that we live it and the way that we engage with the culture, you're going to run into problems. And we talk about seeing the filter. It's really important to see these filters because it's so insidious. It creeps in the worldly mindset. It warps our thinking. It makes what God considers sin palatable, even attractive. And it's important to find what the Bible says about modern, modern issues that we deal with. Absolutely. Continuing on on the subject of relativism, I can't help but mention the claims Jesus made, the I am statements of Jesus. We find seven of these in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. And especially that sixth one there from John 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That one, it's a strong claim towards an exclusive truth mindset. And Jesus claims to be the definitive revelation of God and salvation, and either he's right or he's wrong. And and he doesn't leave any room for us. And I think really the issue with us as those who carry his name, those who claim to be Christian, is that are we with him or are we not with him? Is he right or is he wrong? If Jesus is right then he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge statement. But look, he's our Lord. we got to stick with what he says. Yeah, it can't be a halfway thing. If he's right, like you said, then he's right. And then, therefore, it tracks that everything he said is right and everything the Bible says is right. You can't say, hey, I really like what Jesus said on Sermon on the Mount about taking care of poor people. But um, what it says in, in, you know, Philippians about this or that, like... You know, I don't agree with that. And then Jesus isn't your Lord. Right. Yeah. In the end, we got to stick with Jesus. And he claims that he is going to return in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, that he is going to, on the last day, resurrect his followers. And if we agree that that is true, if we place our faith in him, if we think he's trustworthy based on his track record, based on how God has given him these words to say and has raised him from the dead and brought him up into heaven and all this, then it makes sense that we would put our stake in the ground with him. And as our culture shifts one way or another, we need to stick with what he says on this. And that doesn't mean that we don't think for ourselves, but it does mean that on certain issues, we are fixed. And I think that's okay. And, and I think it's, it, honestly, it's humility on our parts to say, look, I'm with Jesus on this. You know, we're not coming up with this. This is a text. This is given to us, and we're choosing to put our faith in it. So that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for future Offscript episodes. We're going to be doing something new next time. Thanks for listening, guys. And as we say every podcast, please leave us feedback. We love it. We read every single comment. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Sayonara. Have you already used that one? (laughs) Each week we ask for feedback, and as of late, we've gotten some feedback that I just want to read out on the air. The first one is from Victor, who commented on episode four about progress. 
and said, this was fantastic, engaging, thoughtful, and helpful. Keep up the good work. Thank you for your kind words, Victor. On Scientism, Episode 5, Valerie wrote, I really love these podcasts because they are so far from the small talk that permeates so many conversations. They are so thought-provoking. Forget about being anxious when people stand against the gospel you preach because the truth has nothing to fear. Love it. Darwin was a strong believer in God's creation. Love it. Scientists always accuse religion of blind faith. True faith can never be blind. The overwhelming evidence we discover is the reason we have faith. Faith is not limited to religion. Love it. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Valerie, for that comment. Also on our patriotism episode number seven, Valerie wrote, another thought-provoking discussion. Of course, I love and favor America over all other nations. It's all I know. Americans are also just about the only neighbors I can love as myself. I always try to have a worldwide perspective, and not just an American one, but I would not like to live under their rules and laws. But when you come right down to it, it really does not matter where you live or who's in charge. Daniel and Esther and others did God's will in Babylon. Joseph wrought wonderfully under God in Egypt, as did Moses and David in the wilderness and Paul in Rome. Wherever we are, in whatever situation we are in, as long as we are with God, we can have a fruitful life. Excellent points there, Valerie. And Miranda, also on the same episode about patriotism, writes, A very interesting discussion and good to get the Christian perspective of patriotism. I try to be politically neutral and being no part of the world. I prefer not to vote in elections because although some governments do a lot of good, there are always some things which I do not agree with, and I try to avoid getting involved in political discussions favoring one party above another. There will be nations in the kingdom, but with Jesus as king and no more wars. I can't help wondering how the Christians must have felt about Nero, though I think you can show honor to someone whilst at the same time being detached. And I find Acts 5.29 comforting as it puts Romans 13 in perspective. I enjoyed the scripture you quoted from 1 Timothy 2, 1-7. The scripture which came to mind when listening to the discussion was 1 Peter 2.17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Thank you so much, Victor, Valerie, and Miranda for dropping comments on restitudio.org about previous off-script episodes. It's really encouraging to see you engaging, and we really appreciate the time you took to write this, which is why I read it out on the air. And if anyone else would like to join in the discussion, please head on over to restitudio.org and click on one of the episodes for off-script. Also, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, please swing by iTunes and give us a review. Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Also, we're trying out some new intro music on this episode. Please let us know what you thought about that, if it's just too ridiculous, or if you think it's totally groovy. Please let us know at feedback at restitudio.org or dropping a comment on the website. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.